A.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 2 The History of Zacharias and Elizabeth and The Vision of Zacharias in the Temple Luke chapter 1 verses 5 through 12 There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The first event recorded in Luke's Gospel is the sudden appearance of an angel to a Jewish priest named Zechariah. The angel announces to him that a son is about to be born to him by a miraculous interposition, and that this son is to be the forerunner of the long-promised Messiah. The word of God had plainly foretold that when Messiah came, someone would go before him to prepare his way. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The wisdom of God provided that when this forerunner appeared, he would be born in the family of a priest. We can form very little idea at this period of the world of the immense importance of this angel's announcement. To the mind of a pious Jew, it must have been glad tidings of great joy. It was the first communication from God to Israel since the days of Malachi. It broke the long silence of four hundred years. It told the believing Israelite that the prophetic weeks of Daniel were at length fulfilled, Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, that God's choicest promise was at length going to be accomplished, and that the seed was about to appear in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed, Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. We must place ourselves in imagination in the position of Zechariah in order to give the verses before us their due weight. Let us mark for one thing in this passage the noble testimony which is born to the character of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told that they were both righteous before God and that they walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. It matters little whether we interpret this righteousness as that which is imputed to all believers for their justification or that which is wrought inwardly in believers by the operation of the Holy Spirit for their sanctification. The two sorts of righteousness are never disjoined. There are none justified who are not sanctified. 
and their nuns sanctified who were not justified. Suffice it for us to know that Zechariah and Elizabeth had grace when grace was very rare and kept all the burdensome observances of the ceremonial law with devout consciousness when few Israelites cared for them, excepting in name and form. The main thing that concerns us all is the example which this holy pair hold up to Christians. Let us all strive to serve God faithfully and live fully up to our light, even as they did. Let us not forget the plain words of Scripture. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Happy are those Christian families in which it can be reported that both husband and wife are righteous and exercise themselves to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts chapter 24 verse 16. Let us mark for another thing in this passage the heavy trial which God was pleased to lay on Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told that they had no child. The full force of these words can hardly be understood by a modern Christian. To an ancient Jew, they would convey the idea of a very weighty affliction. To be childless was one of the bitterest of sorrows. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. The grace of God exempts no one from trouble. As righteous as this holy priest and his wife were, they had a crook in their lot. Let us remember this if we serve Christ, and let us not count trials as strange things. Let us rather believe that a hand of perfect wisdom is measuring out all our portion, and that when God chastises us, it is to make us partakers of His holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. If afflictions drive us nearer to Christ, the Bible, and prayer, then they are positive blessings. We may not think so now, but we shall think so when we wake up in the eternal world. Let us mark for another thing in this passage the means by which God announced the coming birth of John the Baptist. We're told that an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. The ministry of angels is undoubtedly a deep subject. Nowhere in the Bible do we find such frequent mention of them as in the period of our Lord's earthly ministry. At no time do we read of so many appearances of angels as about the time of our Lord's incarnation and entrance into the world. The meaning of this circumstance is sufficiently clear. It was meant to teach the church that the Messiah was no angel, but the Lord of angels as well as of men. Angels announced his coming, angels proclaimed his birth, angels rejoiced at his appearing, and by so doing they made it plain that he who came to die for sinners was not one of themselves but one far above them, the King of kings and Lord of lords. One thing at all events about angels we must never forget, they take a deep interest in the work of Christ and the salvation which Christ has provided. 
They sang high praise when the Son of God came down to make peace by his own blood between God and man. They rejoice when sinners repent and are born again to our Father in heaven. They delight to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Let us strive to be like them while we are upon earth, to be of their mind and to share their joys. This is the way to be in tune for heaven. It is written of those who enter in there that they shall be as the angels. Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Let us mark lastly in this passage the effect which the appearance of an angel produced on the mind of Zechariah. We are told that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. The experience of this righteous man here tallies exactly with that of other saints under similar circumstances. Moses at the burning bush, Daniel at the Tigris River, the women at the sepulchre, and John at the Isle of Patmos, they all showed similar fear to that of Zechariah. Like him, when they saw visions of things belonging to another world, they trembled and were afraid. How are we to account for this fear? To that question, there is only one answer. It arises from our inward sense of weakness, guilt, and corruption. The vision of an inhabitant of heaven reminds us forcibly of our own imperfection and of our natural unfitness to stand before God. If angels are so great and terrible, then what must the Lord of angels be? Let us bless God that we have a mighty mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Believing on him, we may draw near to God with boldness and look forward to the day of judgment without fear. When the mighty angels shall go forth to gather God's elect together, the elect will have no cause to be afraid. To them the angels are fellow servants and friends. Revelation chapter 22 verse 9. Let us tremble when we think of the terror of the wicked at the day of judgment. If even the righteous are troubled by a sudden vision of friendly angels, then what will the ungodly do when the angels come forth to gather them like tares for the burning? The fears of the saints are groundless and endure but for a little season. The fears of the lost, when once aroused, will prove well-grounded and will endure forevermore.